Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Industry Focus listeners, we've got a special treat for you this week. With Fullpalooza, the Motley Fool's annual gathering of employees from across TMF's global offices, we won't be able to report, record a podcast for you this week. As a result, we're going to the TMF vault to bring you a never-before-heard episode of Industry Focus, featuring former Industry Focus energy and financials host Michael Douglas. Times were simpler back when this podcast was recorded. The S&P was over 2800 Oil was almost $80 a barrel. Elon Musk had never appeared on a podcast with Joe Rogan. Things were different, okay? One thing that hasn't changed, though, is space. So without further ado, we present to you The Last Ride of Michael Douglas. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Thursday, and that means it's energy and industrials, and we're talking about space, the final frontier. I'm your host, Michael Douglas. I'm joined by Lou Whiteman. Um, two notes before we we get uh, too far into the weeds. The first one, um, this show was pre-recorded on August 29th, so... Um, you know, some of the things that we're talking about may be a little bit dated as of the time that you're hearing it. Um, you know, usually we don't anticipate, usually when we do a pre-record, that's because we don't anticipate major changes happening. But the thing with major changes is sometimes they're unexpected. So, uh, so that's caveat number one. Uh, point number two, I am, um, my TMF name is TMF Enterprise, which tells you uh, which way I fall on the great Star Trek versus Star Wars debate. Lou, uh, I don't know where you fall on this, but I think Ooh. this is something our, our, our listeners deserve to know. Uh, how Ooh. do you how do you feel about you know one of the greatest um, uh, matches <laughs> in <laughs> in sci-fi or Star Wars, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, I, I I think I need to be um, I think I need to be down the middle here. I enjoy both. I don't know if I ever got obsessed with either, but I I, I have watched way too much of both and enjoyed it. So I'll go ahead and admit something uh, that I don't usually admit, but hey, why not? Um, so in addition to TMF Enterprise, I also have a model of the uh, USS Enterprise on my desk. And when I was in, but but I'm also actually very much a Star Wars fan. When I was in middle school, I wrote um, over 200 pages of Star Wars fanfic, which fortunately was never uh, sent to a publisher. And also, Do you still have it. Uh, no, uh, unfortunately, oh. I, and and it's really a shame for the literary world. I promise. Um, my my computer's hard drive died because you know it was the it was the early aughts, and um, that's you know we didn't have cloud storage and things like that, or at least I didn't, and so I unfortunately lost my my masterpiece. There, yeah, oh man, because there's so many opportunities now for new shows and new networks and stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the, the world's loss. Yeah, G- George Lucas, call me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, we're talking about space tonight, uh, today, and um, it's interesting because I think that when people are thinking about space, they usually are doing it. You know, you immediately think about you know. Neil Armstrong on the moon, you're thinking about exploration, scientific missions. You know, more recently due to the advent of companies like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic, we've been talking a lot more about travel, colonization, uh, and things like that. And of course, 
with um, Trump's recent moves to launch uh, a space force, I think people are increasingly aware of space's military applications too. Um, but but the fact is, I, I think people tend to generally view space as this thing that we're sort of going to do more with at some point. I think that's that's fair. That's true. That's very likely. But we've also been doing quite a bit <laughs> with space as it is. You know, and not, I'm not just talking Absolutely. about the Apollo launches and the space shuttles and you know the various satellites that that we've. Um, the various probes we put out there, but also satellites and things like GPS for the military, which right. uh, has been, you know, was a major military project and has now been, to some extent, opened up to civilian use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll use another entertainment reference and really show my age. I think with this Space Force talk recently, a lot of the mental images have been uh, something out of uh, the James Bond movie, Moonraker, where you have astronauts shooting lasers at each other across a huge space battlefield. But uh, in, in reality, there is a lot of military defense uh, space spending right now. Uh, most of it, it, Space Force would be a separate place to house it all. Currently, it's mostly out of the Air Force. They have a space admissions center that uh, out of Los Angeles that does about 85% of what the Pentagon spends in space right now. There's 6,000 people working there. Uh, they have a portfolio of assets north of $6 billion. That's just the non-classified stuff. And uh, in fiscal 19, before all this uh, Space Force talk, the DOD budget includes about $9.3 billion for space programs. That's about half of that is satellites. You have over $2 billion in launch vehicles and another $2 billion in maintenance. Uh, figure that spending is very conservative. It's it's probably significantly higher because a lot of this is uh, is classified programs. And it's also, it's growing. It was at about $7.8 in fiscal 18. Uh, so it, it, it was growing even before there was any talk of Space Force. Yeah. And as you noted, and I'll just kind of double underline that point, you know, the thing, <laughs> the thing with classified is we don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about really cutting edge research, that's going to be tending to happen in the classified space because you know, we don't necessarily want to let everyone around the world know all the uh, advantages, perhaps, that the U.S. is working to garner. Um, and so there is probably a fair amount going on there. Sure. And and as far as the spending item, too, uh, given that so much of this is bleeding edge, uh, any research being done is likely very difficult research. You can't just take things off the shelf. And so, yeah, I, 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 you can almost be certain that there are a lot of dollars, maybe an amount equal to what we know about going if, if you go into research and development and the different uh, labs, the different research institutions, and also the government contractors who do a lot of this R&D. Uh, there's a lot we don't know about uh, in, this, in this sector in particular. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the sort of broader picture of all this is that, um, you know, this spending has been rising and it's going to keep rising um, because, uh, you know, as, as we were talking about before here, I mean, the status quo of the U.S. being unchallenged in space is, well, over. Russia mm-hmm. is doing quite a bit. China is doing quite a bit. And we're actually behind in some areas, particularly uh, hypersonics, which is uh, about traveling at sort of five times the speed of sound. Sure, sure. I think it's fair to say the United States rested on its laurels. We we won the space race. 
Uh, we had the space shuttle. We were uh, Russia was going through the breakup of the Soviet Union. We were the undisputed leader for a long time, and as a result, uh, we slowed down our pace of innovation. Uh, as you say, that is no longer the case. Uh, hypersonics is, is a perfect example. These are missiles that are capable, due to their speed, due to their maneuverability, they travel in low space and they are basically unstoppable with any technology we have. Uh, Russia is is claims they have a system in place. China is very close. Uh, we are way behind. Uh, the Air Force has given out a, about $1.4 billion in contracts this year, all to Lockheed Martin, uh, to try and play catch-up, and they are determined to make it a quick catch-up. But uh, yes, there and in other places where we were the only power for a long time, now the systems we have are vulnerable, and uh, arguably in a lot of areas, research being done elsewhere if not matches what we're doing, it exceeds it in terms of what they've been able to develop. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's quite a bit going on here. And I, I mean, um, I think as, as we also th sort of consider this, the military applications, there are also some significant non-military applications as yes. well. Right. And so, you know, uh, there's, quite a bit with, um, you know, Lockheed has a uh, NASA contract to develop a Concorde replacement. Um, you know, North Grumman uh, is working on the James Webb Space Telescope, which mm -hmm. is going to, I think you'd said it was going to cost them like $10 billion or so before it launches. All in, yes. Yeah. And, and of course, there's manned missions, too. Right, right. And there's and, and a, a part of this is, is too, that, as you say, is that all of this stuff, I don't know if it's necessarily the first thing people think about with the defense contractors, but the defense contractors are front and center in all of these things. Like you say, Lockheed, north of Grumman, uh, Boeing Space is a huge division. Uh, Boeing and SpaceX, the Elon Musk uh, startup, they are both right now competing to, or they've both developed capsules that uh, NASA is going to use to carry astronauts to the International Space Station, hopefully very soon. There's been a lot of delays there. Uh, but but yes, NASA is doing a lot of work, a lot of, due to Na NASA's size and NASA's capabilities right now, a lot of the R&D that they do, they outsource to, again, research institutions, but a lot of it is to the private sector. Uh, NASA's overall budget it was about $20 billion, $19.5 billion. Uh, they're spending $10 billion right now on, on exploration, which is the, the cutting-edge stuff, returning to humans to the moon, and eventually all this talk of Mars. Yeah, and one of the things that's important to note here is I, I think there's always this, this question about, okay, you know, exploration, what's that, what's that really worth, right? So what is all this kind of you know, science stuff worth? And, and I think one of the things that people often forget is that a lot of innovations come because of that, you know, because when you're having to right. figure out how to keep somebody alive in zero-G or to you know, scrub out carbon dioxide and things like that, that creates uh, inventions that can be really very useful and have a lot of military and civilian applications. So there's a, a lot to think about there in terms of benefits. Right, right. And a lot of that we don't realize until after the fact, which is why it's so important to do the research. I mean, the kind of the crazy thing about NASA is hoping to have humans on the moon by the middle part of next decade. Uh, a lot of the tech that they're counting on for towards that goal, which is not very far off, is still in development. The uh, Space Launch System, a massive new rocket that is going to be needed to set up the uh, 
think about it, the the midpoint station, uh, mm-hmm. the, the idea is that there would be a separate station orbiting the moon. Uh, we can build that, but to get it into orbit, we need a rocket that is still in the development phase. Here we are halfway through 2018, and they hope to be doing it by 2024. Uh, the amount of research needed, and as you say, the benefits that will come from that from all sorts of ways we can't anticipate, history has shown that that, that happens and, 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 and it will come. It, it's really hard to look at right now as we're looking forward, but I, I, I don't doubt that that there is payback in these investments in ways that we can't even imagine right now. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's causing a lot of anxiety with folks. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. That gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive rate shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Now here's the best part. If rates go up, your rates stay the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Okay, so let's turn back to the this this whole space thing, which is a pretty big opportunity. Um, and let's talk about sort of what the current big players look like. Sure. Sure. Well, it, it's somewhat hard to look on the fence because it's coming from so many different areas. But I, I think we can pretty safely say that the companies we're going to talk about with NASA are also the biggest players for defense. Uh, fiscal 2017, the top NASA contractor was actually a, a, a university, which kind of shows how much R&D goes into this. But right. following them was uh, Boeing with over $2 billion in procurements, Lockheed with $1.4 billion, and then again, SpaceX, the startups that's doing a lot of the launching work. Uh, Orbital Science, which was acquired by Northrop, uh, they were number five. Uh, Northrop was also in the top 10. Raytheon is there. A company called Harris, which is sort of under the radar, but does a lot of work in space. Uh, these are these are all top 10 contractors to NASA. They're all doing a lot of work for the Defense Department. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> it, it's very clear that um, or it seems very clear to me that, you know, what the, the strategy has been on the government side is to spread spread things around as much as possible. You don't want to have a single point of failure. You don't want to have one company that has everything locked up. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead, what you Mm -hmm. want is a bunch of different folks kind of working toward this goal so that um, the, basically the public side uh, isn't suddenly just completely dependent on one private player so that they can kind of make sure that there's an open market and a lot of innovation going on. Mm-hmm. That's an important point, and it's actually something that's often discussed in government circles. Because the downside with that is, is that you're you're developing sometimes redundant systems, or or you're mm-hmm. you know you're funding research that you know one of the two candidates may not make it. Uh, that's an expensive process, but uh, given. Given given that a lot of this stuff has never been done before, there there is a need inside or a desire inside the government to have multiple parties working on it, multiple failures or, or, or multiple experiments. Uh, that is a great opportunity for these companies because these things aren't cheap, and for 
all of the goals we have, part of the reason that they are so expensive is there's so much work that goes into it from multiple parties. Yeah. From a business case, it, it, it's a great business to be in. Right, because ultimately spending is going to keep increasing, and yes, and there will be opportunities for um, you know as as various let's say various international powers uh, scale up and um, identify um, you know certain companies that are doing well or certain you know gaps in their systems and things that they need that will give these defense contractors a lot of opportunity to um, develop a lot of really good hardware and a lot of great science in a lot of different places for a lot of different clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's also there's continued opportunities to expand too. I mean, Northrop I mentioned bought Orbital Sciences for almost ten billion dollars dead end. That's a major deal. That's going to reshape Northrop and really it, it shows what that executive team thinks of the future of space because they have decided that space is going to be a priority. Uh, there aren't too many other orbital sciences out there for these big guys. There are some companies that 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 might fit nicely into a portfolio, but I, I I think Northrop signaled their intention, and I don't think they're alone in the thinking of of how important space is. They didn't go out and buy a land systems maker. They didn't go buy and make, go out and say let's get big into tanks. They are investing in space because they see it as an opportunity for growth, and uh, I I don't think many executives at these other contractors would would question that line of thought anyway. Yeah. I th- I think that should be re- a tell for investors as far as where they where these companies see spending increasing. Yeah. No, I think that's very fair. And and <laughs> to some extent of course, uh in in um markets, uh folks are going to follow the money and that's why I think we're seeing so many um, you know, obviously, North go after Orbital, but also these startups, right? Whether it's SpaceX, whether it's Virgin mm-hmm. Galactic, whether it's uh, Bezos's Blue Origin, um, you know, all trying to kind of find ways to play in this space and get a chunk of this ever increasing pie. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, Elon Musk has been really smart about this because as much as the focus on Blue Origin and SpaceX is is going to Mars and space tourism and stuff. Uh, these these systems are expensive to develop, and the government is a reliable customer. And SpaceX has has done very well from you know earning the trust of the government and getting these contracts. That pays for a lot of the R and D. Uh, that's that's sort of the interesting thing if you look at it for investors here is that while there are wonderful opportunities, there's also a lot of companies, an increasing number of companies, going after this pie. Uh, Northrop's buy for Orbital, part of that is is they'd like to move into this area, the heavy launch area, where right now a joint venture between Boeing and Lockheed is competing with SpaceX. That competition is going so well that the joint venture, United Launch Service, has done layoffs, they've done cutbacks, and they're complaining about there isn't, they aren't getting the margins they need to sustain a business. Well, Northrop with Orbital is going to make that a lot more complicated. Uh, so while there is a lot of spending and it's going to increase, there just a little word of caution, especially for these companies that are too reliant on it, that it isn't just part of the business. There's also a lot of competition. Uh, there's a lot of people following that money. Yeah, absolutely, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know one of the one of the kind of the if you're thinking about um, the space area, you know one of the I think kind of one of the key things to think about here is um, that there aren't really a ton of publicly traded pure plays. Um, really, the opportunity is um, to kind of look at a large diversified company and sort of see um, see space as a as a part of that and and sort of like as an opportunity within that company. Of course, there are two big caveats that come with that. Right, the first one is. That large company, whatever it might be, 
has a bunch of other divisions. <laughs> and, you know, before considering, oh, like so-and-so is playing in space, I'm really excited about them. You want to make sure that you're also excited about the rest of what they're doing, too. Because if you're not, um, that may mean that, you know, they, they fail to compete well, et cetera, et cetera. And, and in a case like that, I mean, it's hard to pick one company over, say, an ETF. Um, the second right. caveat that I'll throw out there is that... Um, it's early days. I mean, I mean, yes, we've been in space for a long time. Obviously, these companies have been scaling up what they're doing in space for a while. But we are in the early days of, of a lot of really kind of big ideas and a lot of big expansions. And so trying to pick a winner right now, pretty darn difficult. Um, and so it, particularly given that so much of, <laughs> so much of stuff is classified. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of the, the, the way to to think about that is that that does make it very difficult to pick winners versus losers. And that's just something to kind of keep in mind as you're thinking about uh, investing in this space. Sure, sure. And, you know, the funny thing is, is it's almost the nature of space is it's always early days because the second we get the second we get to the moon, then you can look to Mars or et cetera, et cetera, which is both. I mean, there's a lot of risks. There's a lot of risk both for the astronauts and for the companies uh, making the capsules. Uh, but uh, but but there is so much opportunity there as long as it is a focus and be it because of the military's interest and, and need and NASA's interest and, and their funding levels, there is the opportunity there. So I have to ask, which happens first? Permanent colony on the moon, permanent colony on Mars? Oh, the moon. It just just the scale of the challenge is, is so much, it's so much easier to get to the moon. And, and if nothing else, they should, um, it, 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 the moon is a good place to learn and fail. And learn again, if to hopefully not fail. But right. uh, the, 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 our ability to get back and forth to the moon, even right now, if we had to, uh, it makes it a great training ground. And frankly, and unless we figure out a new propulsion system, uh, if you go back to high school physics, it's tough to get through the Earth's gravity. Uh, and if, if we could launch something for a long-range mission from the moon instead of launching it from the Earth, uh, the amount of fuel you'd need would be greatly reduced and it would make the whole process so much simpler. I, I, I think I, I have no doubt in my mind we'll be on the moon before we'll be on Mars. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Well, maybe not here first, but you heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that's it for this week's Energy Industrial Show. Uh, questions or comments, you can always reach us, uh, reach the team at industryfocus@fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. Uh, for Lou Whiteman, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. As of the time that you're hearing this show, Michael Douglas works for Motley Fool Wealth Management, LLC, an affiliate of the Motley Fool, LLC, and an investment advisor registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The views expressed herein are those of Mr. Douglas and do not necessarily reflect the views of Motley Fool Wealth Management or any of its affiliates. These comments may not be relied upon as recommendations, financial or investment advice, or an indication of trading intent. 